things are getting back on track. The last couple of Sundays, we've had missionaries here. Uh, when we were on vacation, uh, David Gabout, uh, church planning missionary in St. Louis. And then last Sunday, we had Mary Beth Toms, who's going to be ministering to Muslim refugees in Belgium. And so Life Church supports uh, many Assembly of God missionaries around the world, uh, as well as some that are reaching out right here in the St. Louis area. So we encourage you, they're listed in your bulletin, we encourage you to pray for them, uh, you know, especially when you see a face and you can put it, uh, we're supporting uh, Mary Beth uh, on a monthly basis, you can, you can put a face with, with the name and it's important that we continue to pray for the missionaries that we are supporting. Well, today we're back in our series, our message series called Genesis, in Genesis called Abraham Hearing God's Call. And we're learning about hearing God speak to us, his promises, and then receiving those promises through faith. Now, our last message way back on the 8th of July was called Covenant Promises or Covenant Promise. And the verse that we looked at, the key verse was Genesis 15. It was where God spoke to Abram, and it says, and he, that's Abram, got brought, I mean, that's he, that is God, brought him, Abram, outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he, that is Abram, believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And so God promised Abram that he would have offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky. It's in him an amazing promise. I mean, what went through Abram's mind when he heard that? Well, the first thing probably was that he had no children at all. So how is this ever going to come to pass? But Abram's response was to believe God that what God spoke was true and that God was going to fulfill that promise. And it says that God counted Abram's faith as righteousness. You see, Faith is absolutely necessary to see God's promises fulfilled in our lives. Faith is absolutely necessary for us to please God and to have a relationship with Him. If we doubt God's promise, on the other hand, it's going to cause the promise to not be fulfilled and it would not please God. And so just as God spoke a promise to Abram, God speaks promises into our lives as well. The Bible, God's Word, is filled with promises. There are hundreds, people say thousands of promises, depending on how you count, that we are to believe God for. Let's just look at one promise from the book of Proverbs. It's one of my favorite verses, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. In other words, if we trust God, if we follow God's plans in everything that we do, He's going to cause our lives to prosper. He's going to help us to fulfill God's purpose for our lives. Our paths are going to be straight. In Proverbs, there's two kinds of paths. There's crooked paths, which you don't want to be on a crooked, slippery path. And there's straight paths, the path that God wants us to walk on, the path that's in keeping with His will. And so that's a general promise, but God also speaks specific promises to us through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will apply the general promises in God's Word to our specific situations. For example, how might this promise, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, apply to your life today? Now, first of the things that we learn from this, as we're commanded to not lean on our own understanding. The temptation in life is to lean on our own understanding, to try to figure things out with our own minds and follow that plan 
rather than God's plan. The temptation is to follow our own desires in life rather than God's desires for us. But the Holy Spirit will remind us to seek God's will in every decision rather than following our own plans, rather than trying to figure things out with our own minds. Oftentimes, God's will is different than our natural inclination. It's different than our desire. And so there's a conflict there, and we have a choice to make. Are we going to follow God's way, or are we going to follow our own way? But as we trust in God's plans, God will bring success in life. Now, oftentimes, it takes a period of time before we see God's promises fulfilled in our lives. Now, we would all like it to be instant, okay? like microwave promises. We type it in, we pray it out, we say 30 seconds, boom, we want it right now. But generally, that's not how it happens. And when we don't see a promise fulfilled, according to our timetable, then we're tempted to devise our own plans to somehow achieve the same result. And that's what today's message is all about. From Genesis chapter 16, I've entitled it, Going It Alone. And so Abraham and Sarai had a promise from God. We just read it in Genesis chapter 15 that they would have offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky, and yet they had no children at all. And so they became, to be, they became impatient with not seeing God's promise of a son. It had to start somewhere fulfilled after many years. And so they made a disastrous choice to take things into their own hands. And that choice of Sarai and Abram thousands of years ago impacts our world today, as we'll see, in extremely negative ways. Abram and Sarai's decision to go it alone ultimately led to the formation of the religion of Islam. Islam is the fastest growing religion in the world with over 1.8 billion people is diametrically opposed to Christianity. And yet, even though Abram and Sarai made this disastrous decision, God gave them a second chance to exercise their faith. And we'll talk about that as we go on in this series. But today we're going to look at Genesis chapter 16. An example we're going to see from Sarai and Abram is a negative example. You know, in the Bible, there's positive examples. Follow these people as they follow God's plan, and there's negative examples. Don't do what these people are doing because they're not following God. And this is going to be a negative example today. We must learn not to doubt God's promise. Our story begins in verse 1 of chapter 16. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. Now we'll learn in verse chapter 3 that Abram had been in Canaan 10 years already. But Sarai had not become pregnant. The promise of God had not yet been fulfilled. And as we'll see, Abram and Sarai were beginning to doubt whether God was going to fulfill the promise. Maybe he needed some help from them. Maybe God was not capable of fulfilling the promise of all these children that he had promised to them. We mustn't devise our own plans. What happened in verse 2? Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. Now in those days, barrenness was considered a, a curse from God. And so 
Sarai begins by blaming God. The God who had promised them children, she's blaming him now for not giving them any children, from stopping her from having children. And so she came up with this plan of giving her Egyptian servant, Hagar, to Abram to have a child with. Now we understand that this was a cultural practice in those days, but it certainly was a violation of God's standard of marriage being between one man and one woman for life. And so this plan was doubting God's ability to fulfill his promise, it was seeking to fulfill that promise of having children by their own plan, which was not commanded by God. And it was seeking, their plan was in violation of God's standards of what marriage was all about. Now, who proposed the plan? Well, it was Sarai. So, what would Abram do with Sarai's plan? Well, unfortunately, this is another negative example. We must learn not to give in to temptation. Verse 2b, and Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. And so after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. So now Abram has how many wives? Two. Not good. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And so Sarai tempted Abram to doubt God, and he listened to and followed her plan. Now, if you're thinking, these verses remind us of what? The first temptation in the Garden of Eden. In fact, the Hebrew behind here, the words are almost exactly the same. Eve tempted Abram with the forbidden fruit. And he listened to her. And he took the fruit and he sinned. In the same way, Abram succumbed to the temptation of Sarai. He listened to her. He followed her plan of fulfilling the promise in a way contrary to what God intended. Rather than trusting God, she gave him, just as Eve gave the forbidden fruit to, to Adam, Sarai gave the servant to Abram, Hagar, he took her, he gave in to temptation. And the immediate result was a really messed up family. Now that's not exactly my point, but uh, I said disobedience damages relationships. And so let's read what happened in this household. When she saw that she had conceived, so this is Hagar, speaking of Hagar, she looked with contempt on her mistress which was Sarai. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. And Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. So Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Now this is basically a big mess. So Hagar now had become the second wife to Abram. Now, there are examples of marriages with more than one wife in the Old Testament, but the end result is always great problems. This is not God's will. Biblical marriage is created by God, is always between one man and one woman for, for life. Now, here we'll see, first of all, that Hagar, if you read the underlying Hebrew, she cursed Sarai. And then Sarai blamed Abram for her problems with Hagar. 
May the wrong done on me be on you. I mean, this is a full-blown argument between Sarai and Abram. And then Abram refused to deal with the situation. He said, I don't know what to do. Your servant is in your hand. You do whatever you want to do. And so Sarai began to treat the pregnant Hagar, who was supposed to have the son to fulfill the promise, according to Sarai's plan. She treated her so cruelly that she fled. So the son was gone now, while the pregnant Hagar and the son inside of her was now gone. And so this was not a happy household at all. Sarai's plan of producing the son through Hagar had gone very wrong. Uh, Hagar was pregnant, but the boy was gone. And so disobedience causes all kinds of problems. Here we see greatly damaging relationships in this family. And so what caused all these problems with regard to God's promise? Basically, the promise was not fulfilled as soon as Sarai and Abram expected. And so they began to worry if it was ever going to be fulfilled. They took things into their own hands. They devised and followed their own plan, which also violated God's standard of marriage. And the end result was disaster in their household, and as we'll see, disaster to the world for generations to come. So let's think about our own lives. What promise from God are you holding on to God for? You believe God has promised you something in His Word, and, and you want to believe for that promise. It might be a promise of a child, like Sarai and Abram had. It might be a promise of a healing. It might be a promise of a spouse. It might be the promise of a ministry. It might be a promise of the salvation of a loved one. It might be the promise of a job. And the list, list could go on and on. There's hundreds and thousands of promises in God's Word, and God speaks to us that some of those promises are for us. But oftentimes, I would say most of the time, the fulfillment of those promises takes longer than we would like it to take. Does anybody agree? Anybody holding on to a promise that is yet to be fulfilled you wish was fulfilled yesterday? Okay. Ten of us. But I'm sure it's for most of us. And if so, we have a choice to make. A choice of giving up on God's promise. That's not a good choice. Or seeking to fulfill it our own way. That's not a good choice. Neither of those choices is going to lead us to seeing the promise fulfilled, but rather we must continue to believe God. We must continue to pray. We must continue to trust God to fulfill His promise to us in His timing. And So as we continue in the story in Genesis 16, we're going to see that God really does care about everyone in this whole family. Not only does he, did He care about Sarai and Abram, He cares about and cared about Hagar. And so remember, uh, Hagar had fled from the household of Sarai and Abram. We'll continue the story in verse 7. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. The spring on the way to Shur. Now Shur is on the way back to Egypt. Okay, she was from Egypt. She's going back to Egypt. And he said, Hagar, son of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. And so the pregnant Hagar had been Driven from her home by Sarai, she fled to the desert where the angel of the Lord found her and began to speak to her. Now again, this is echoes of Genesis 3. What happened after Adam and Eve sinned? They fled. They hid themselves. And who pursued them? God. And he began to ask them questions. Where are you? 
What have you done? And so Hagar had cursed Sarai. She treated her with contempt, but God still cared about Hagar. He came after her because what she had done was not right, as we'll see in a minute. God had earlier made it clear that those who blessed Abram would in turn be blessed, and those who cursed Abram would in turn be cursed. Abram and Sarai were one as husband and wife, and so Hagar, by cursing Sarai, brought was wrong, brought judgment upon herself. So the angel of the Lord spoke to Hagar and explained that God had a plan for her, but she was not in God's plan. The angel of the Lord said to her, that's Hagar, return to your mistress and submit to her. She had fled from her mistress and rebelled against her. Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. And so this first command of the angel of the Lord to Hagar was to return to Sarah and submit to her, even though Sarah had treated her harshly. Hagar was in violation of God's authority in her life by fleeing and not submitting to her mistress. And if Hagar fulfilled that condition, the angel then gave her a promise that her offspring in turn would be, if she blessed Sarai rather than cursing her, then her offspring would be multiplied to a great multitude. The angel also told Hagar that she was to name her son Ishmael, which means in the Hebrew language that the Lord had listened to her affliction. God cared about her. He went after her to bring her back to a place of blessing. And so each person must follow God's plan. And jumping down to verse 16, and then we'll come back in a minute. It says, And Hagar bore Abram a son. She obviously went back to Sarai, submitted to her, and she bore a son. And Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar was born, bore Ishmael to Abram. And so Sarai followed the commands of the angel. She returned to Sarai, submitted to Sarai's authority. And she obviously told Abram the name the child was to have. And Abram then named the, his son and with Hagar Ishmael. And so Hagar would be blessed by having many offspring as the angel had promised. And we see later on in the book of Genesis that Ishmael had 12 sons. And they began the, according we might call them, the Ishmaelites. We'll talk about that in a minute. And yet all was not well with this turn of events. What would become of this son Ishmael? What would be his destiny? He was not the son of promise. But according to Galatians chapter 4, which we don't have time to look at, you can, it talks all about this story. Ishmael was a son of the flesh. He was a son of human desire, not of following God's plan and God's will. And so what kind of person would he turn out to be? How would Sarah and Abram's disobedience to God's plan affect the future? Well, the angel of the Lord prophesied to Hagar concerning Ishmael's future because disobedience was going to affect generations down to our time today. Verse 12. This is the angel speaking, angel of the Lord speaking to Hagar in the desert. Speaking of Ishmael, the son she was to bear. He shall be a wild donkey of a man. How would you like that for yourself? 
His hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against his kinsmen. So this prophecy does not bode well for Ishmael's future and the future of all his offspring. A wild donkey is not tamed. A wild donkey does whatever he wants. He lives far from others. Ishmael and his descendants would dwell in the desert areas of Saudi Arabia and the surrounding countries. Ishmael and his descendants would be in conflict with everyone, and everyone would be in conflict with them. He would also be against his kinsmen. Who would be his kinsmen? Well, his, his brother would be Isaac, the son of promise. And the descendants of Isaac would be the children of Israel, and ultimately the spiritual children of Israel, which includes you and I. And he would be against them. And so this foolish plan of Sarah and Abraham would affect not just their own home, but would affect the entire planet for thousands of years. So how did Sarah and Abram's going alone, how does it affect, how does it impact us today? Well, Ishmael is considered the father of the Arabs, particularly the Arabs in Saudi Arabia and, and nearby lands, the Ishmaelites. Muhammad was the founder of the false religion Islam in 600 AD. He is a direct descendant, and all the Arabs claim he's a direct descendant of Ishmael. The Quran speaks of Ishmael, and the Quran, Ishmael replaces Isaac as the promised son, contrary to God's word. Today, as I said, there are 1.8 billion Muslims in the world. There are 2.3 billion Christians, or at least people who claim to be Christian. But Muslims have the fastest birth rate and growth rates, and by the year 2060, it's estimated there will be an equal number of Muslims and Christians in the world if these things continue as they are today. Now, what can change these predictions? The only thing that I can think of is a revival among Muslims that converts many of them to Christians. And that's why we continue to pray for and support. A number of our missionaries are working with Muslims around the world, and they are seeing many turn to Christ. And we need to see that increase exponentially. God still loves them. God still cares about them, just as he cared for Hagar, but they must turn to Christ and accept him as their Lord and Savior in order to be saved. So let's summarize the principles of this story positively. We kind of took a negative turn, but we must trust God's promises in our own lives. We must follow God's plans for our lives rather than our own. We must realize that when we follow our own plans, when we begin to doubt God's promises and figure out ways to make things happen, it's going to cause issues. It's going to damage relationships in our lives. It may even impact and affect future generations. We must learn to patiently wait for God to move. Continue to believe until our prayers are answered. Not giving up, as Jesus told us many times. Because God wants to fulfill his promises in your life. But he's going to do it in his time and in his way. And as we follow God's plan, as we believe for his promises to be fulfilled in our lives, then God's going to fill our lives with joy. And we're going to live in the blessings of those promises. Now the first step 
The very first promise that we must see fulfilled in our lives is the promise of eternal life. And most of God's promises have conditions to them. The conditions to becoming a believer, to making Jesus your Lord and Savior are three. The first is to admit that you've sinned, that you've done wrong things. Secondly, you need to believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead three days later. Ask him to forgive your sins and then commit your life to following him as your Savior and your Lord, to following his plan for your life. He has a plan for your life charted out. He has promises for you that he wants to see fulfilled in your life. He has a wonderful life for you. So I'd like to ask us all to bow our heads right now. And if, if you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ before, or you're not sure, or perhaps you've done it in the past, and, and today you want to renew that commitment, I'd encourage you to pray along with me. In your own minds, God knows your thoughts. Pray something like this. Father, today I admit that I've sinned. I've been following my plan for my life rather than yours. Please forgive me. I, I believe that Jesus died on the cross, took the penalty for my sins that I might be forgiven. Please forgive me. I believe he rose from the dead and is alive today, and I commit myself to following him and his plan as my Lord and Savior. And for those of us who are believers, let's pray as well. Father, we thank you for your word that, that taught us today, the story of Abram and Sarai. We thank you for the life principles that it, that it teaches us, God. Forgive us for the times that we have doubted your promises, the times that we haven't waited patiently to fulfill what you promised us, and we've gone off in our own ways. Forgive us for the times when we choose to to go it alone, we choose to follow our own plans rather than yours. We thank you that you have a plan for our lives and you are making it known to us so that we can follow that plan. You have a plan for each and every one of our lives. You have a plan for our families. You have a plan for our church. You have a plan for our children. Help us to find and follow that plan as we trust your promises. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.